Good morning and welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. I appreciate you joining me this morning. I hope everything is going well with you this weekend. I hope you're able to stay cool as we are well into the summer months now. I really appreciate our friends here at the Joy FM for doing their annual Fans for Life drive as they're collecting fans and small window air conditioning units for those who don't have fans or air conditioning, the elderly. And as y'all know, it gets really hot and it gets really hot in some of these houses. We see some of those houses and these fans and these air conditioning units really help. So if you're able to help, I encourage you to go to alabama.thejoyfm.com and contribute because it is a great way of helping our elderly friends out here in our community. This morning, we are going to dive into the Word of God, and our topic today and next week is going to be reconciliation. But before we get into the Word of God, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Abba Father, we praise you. We thank you for another day that you have given us. We thank you for your Word. I just ask that you speak to us, your Holy Spirit teach us and lead us and guide us into all your truths. And Father, for those who are listening who don't have that relationship with you, I pray that they will understand that they can be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus. And for those who are born-again believers, I pray that, Lord, this will just take us deeper into your word and to seeing just even more how awesome you are and how the, the reconciliation that you have given us we can tell others about as well. And so, Father, I just pray we will be doers of your word and not hearers only. And, Father, as we are in these summer months, we know there's a lot of people who don't have air conditioning, don't have fans to move the air around at all. And so, Father, we just pray that this Fans for Life, what the Joy FM is doing to help God, we just pray that you would bless that and touch people's hearts to donate, to give so our elderly neighbors can have some relief during these hot summer months. Father, we thank you that you you love us and you take care of us in every single way. We thank you, Father, that in Matthew chapter 6, you tell us that when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that these things we have need of, you take care of. And so, Lord, we just thank you for taking care of us. Father, we love you and we praise you. And again, we thank you for your word. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of the great things about our ministry here at Love and Action is seeing people reconciled to their families. And we have many stories. I could take up the whole time talking about this and do other editions of Sunday Morning with Love and Action talking about the reconciliation we have seen with families. And it's beautiful when that takes place. I do want to share one story with you before we get into the word. There was a young lady named Joyce. And she had been separated from her family. Her lifestyle had separated her from her family, a lifestyle of drugs and everything else that goes along with that. She was a very, very hard life because of bad decisions. But we saw Jesus touch that woman. We saw Jesus save her. And she went from being an addict to living for Jesus to being extremely active in her church and, in fact, becoming a leader in the outreach ministry of her church. And then, probably about two, three years later, God reconciled her with her family to the point that 
they lived in another part of the U.S. up in the Midwest, and to the point that she moved back home to her family, and God brought her, her children, all back together, and they've been back together for many, many years, and it was a beautiful, beautiful sight to see, and seeing her, the excitement on her face was priceless. It was amazing to see and just a wonderful story of reconciliation. So you can see reconciliation is beautiful and seeing families reconciled, brought back together is heartwarming. And as wonderful as that is, the reconciliation God does is even greater, much greater. And the way he does it is much different than how we do it. When we talk about reconciliation between people, the person who has been alienated because of different issues, disagreements, lifestyles, they are the ones who need to do the fence mending. Uh, he or she must begin repairing those relationships and to show that, hey, I've changed, so I want to come back. But not with God. He's actually the one who does the initiation. He initiates the reconciliation. Let's read our key scripture for today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Paul is writing here, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sakes, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Dictionary.com defines reconciliation as an act of reconciling as when former enemies agree to amicable truce. Now, God's definition is different. We were definitely enemies of God if we are living in sin and we haven't accepted his gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, then we are living as enemies to God. However, God still loves us. He loves the sinner and he loves us so much that he made the way to bring about reconciliation. And human reconciliation, as I just talked about earlier, the offender, the person in the wrong is the one who must make that first step to be reconciled with those who he or she has offended or separated themselves or caused a separation from, but not with God. God is the one who made the first step. And in Paul's writings, we see God is always the reconciler. Those in need of reconciliation are us sinners. We are the ones who are in need of reconciliation with God, but God, he always is the reconciler. He takes that initial step to reconcile us with him. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, Paul writes, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
Now, Paul, he wrote this around 55, 56 AD, and his preaching was the reverse of Hellenistic religion at that time in the Greek world. The way their religion worked was it was always the human being that was seeking restoration of the God's favor, and also of Judaism, where confession of sin and repentance were means by which reconciliation with God was sought. So Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, so there was a Jewish population there, but also Greek. And so his teaching was really the reverse of what they often practice in, in their religion. And what Jesus came and did and what Paul was preaching was now with God, he's the one who changes the relationship with enmity to one of friendship. We're no longer enemies, but we're friends of God. When we give our lives to Christ, we become children of God. And, of course, this is accomplished through Christ, and that's through his death on the cross. And through Jesus dying on the cross, God was reconciling us to himself. So God is the initiator. He's not the recipient of reconciliation. So you can see how that was the reverse of the Hellenistic Greeks and their religions. And also today when we talk about human reconciliation, again, it's usually the person who is lifestyle or the choices that he or she made has separated him or herself from the family. It's usually that person who makes those first steps. But here, God is the initiator, and we are the recipients. And that's just awesome. When you think about what God did to bring you and me back to him, it's just amazing. And how the whole reconciliation process that he put into plan, that he put into order works, it's just, again, shows how amazing, how awesome, and how loving, and how just our God is. The reconciliation occurs because God does not count their sins against them, as we read in verse 19. That phrase, to count against them, in the world of commerce, refers to calculating the amount of a debt. And today we might think about charges on a credit card for which we are held legally responsible for paying that. You go out to the store, you buy something on that credit card, you are telling that merchant that you will pay the credit card company. So the credit card company pays the merchant, and then we pay the credit card company. And if we don't, we are legally in trouble. And so here, it means not posting debts to our account that should rightfully be ours. When we read in verse 19 that God was not counting their sins or their trespasses against them, what that is telling us is that our sins, which the wages of sin is death, we read that in Romans, so we earn death because of our sins. So it's a debt that we owed, and that's what Jesus came, and he paid that debt for you and for me. And that's just amazing that he would do that for us, but that's what he did. So the debts are called sins or better trespasses in some translation, and that was a term that in Hellenistic Greek has to do with a false step, slip, or blunder. So Jesus paid a debt that we could not pay. Have you ever been overwhelmed financially and you incur such a debt that you just cannot pay it back? Well, Jesus did that for our sins, which is a whole lot more important than financial debt because this debt that we owe would send us to hell, eternal 
punishment, eternal life without God, away from the presence of God forever. But Jesus paid that debt for us. So when we come to him, he forgives us and he reconciles us back to the Father. And that's just such an amazing picture of love and how much God loves us. I looked up the word reconcile that we see in verse 18 in the Vine's Complete Expiratory Dictionary, and it defines reconcile this way. To exchange, exchange, especially money, hence of persons, to change from enmity to friendship, to reconcile. With regard to the relationship between God and man, the use of this and connected words show that primarily reconciliation is what God accomplishes exercising his grace toward sinful man on the ground of the death of Christ in propitiatory sacrifice under the judgment due to sin. By reason of this, men in their sinful condition and alienation from God are invited to be reconciled to him, that is to say, to change their attitude and accept the provision God made whereby their sins can be remitted and they themselves be justified in the sight of Christ. Reconcile, being reconciled to God. Jesus, our substitute, paid the price. And when we accept God's provision, his son Jesus, then our sins are forgiven, and we are then justified, reconciled to God. Amazing, just amazing what God has done for us. Look at the Apostle Paul's life. He knew something about reconciliation, didn't he? He was a persecutor of the church. He was very, very adamant to end this Jesus movement. He arrested men, women, children. He approved when people were killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ, including the first Christian martyr, Stephen, and we read about that. To say Paul was an enemy of Jesus would have been a big understatement. However, Jesus died to reconcile all unbelievers to God the Father, including Paul. Jesus came to Paul on the road to Damascus, and he sought out Paul and not the other way around. He came to Paul, which is another beautiful picture of love because just like he died on that cross for you and me, it's it's a personal thing for each one of us. He died for each one of us to bring us into relationship with the Father, to reconcile us with the Father. And seeing what he does in Paul's life is just a beautiful story, a beautiful example of what he wants to do in each one of our lives. Whenever we think we have sinned too much, we just need to open up the Bible and read the story of Paul. Paul was not a nice man towards Christians. Actually, he was Saul at that time. And he persecuted them unto death. But praise be to God. (laughs) Jesus met him right where he was at on the road to Damascus, And he was going to Damascus to arrest Christians. Jesus met him right where he was at. And Paul surrendered his life to Jesus. And life was never the same. And he wrote three-quarters of the New Testament. And it was worth it all the day he saw Jesus face-to-face in heaven. Because he went through a lot of persecution himself. Spent a lot of time in prison and beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. But it's all worth it because he lived for Jesus when he surrendered his life to Jesus. We see that Jesus reconciles God to us and us to God by his atoning death. That's in verses 18 and 19. So even if we are not 
persecuting followers of Jesus like Paul did, we are still not friends with God if we haven't received God's provision of reconciliation. And that's through receiving salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Again, verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The work of reconciliation implies two things, enmity on one side of the parties. You know, we were enemies of God, right? If we're in sin, we're enemies of God. And a change of mind in one of the parties. The enmity here is not on God's part. It's on our part. God is love. Enmity came from man, his own man's part. The carnal mind is enmity with God. We're enemies of God. And the change is not on God's part either. God cannot change. He doesn't need to change. He can never become more loving or more merciful than he already is and always has been and always will be. The change needed is on man's part, and on man's part exclusively. Paul speaks of the world being reconciled to God, not of God to the world, not a section of the race, but of all mankind. So Jesus came to reconcile all of us, all of mankind, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but all of us for the whole world. He died for each and every person on this world, and he came back to life to give each and every person an opportunity to receive his forgiveness, to be reconciled to God, and have eternal life. And Paul, he knew a thing or two about this, didn't he? He experienced reconciliation firsthand, and he writes about it. And he tells us his testimony. I love reading it where he's, it's an ax, and he's in front of King Agrippa, and he is sharing his testimony before Jesus, how he came to Jesus, and what God has done in his life after that salvation moment. One thing to be careful about now as we're reading and looking at the doctrine of reconciliation is what's termed universal salvation. Because the first reading, it might seem that these verses teach us universal salvation, which is that all men are saved through the work of Christ. But that kind of teaching would be in complete disagreement with the rest of the word of God. God has provided a way by which our trespasses, our sins might not be imputed unto us. But while that way is available to all of us, it's effective only in those who are in Christ, who have received Jesus, received his forgiveness, received that provision of reconciliation, which is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising again on the third day. We have to receive him first. It's not that he died and, okay, everybody's saved, that you can keep on living like you want to live. No, we need to come to him and receive that gift that God gives us. The trespasses of unsaved men are going to be reckoned to them, no doubt about that. We will be held responsible for our sins. But when we come to Christ, then we are reckoned righteous in Jesus, and our sins are blotted out. So we need to live like Paul We need to be reconciled to God. And how do we do that? Again, by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the work he did on the cross. We read in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our hearts, not just a mind thing, not just knowing it, having a knowledge of it in in our minds, but believing it with our hearts, all that is within us, that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. And the word of God says we will be saved. 
So when we come to Christ, he reconciles us to God, and we actually become new. We become brand new. Verse 17, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Man, that is that is exciting to read every time I read that, every time I share that with somebody. And the definition of it in the Strong's Concordance, we, we see in the Greek it means original formation. Think about that for a moment. Original formation. In the Vines Dictionary, the reference is to the creative act of God whereby man is introduced into the blessing of salvation. In contrast to circumcision done by hand, which the Judaizers claimed was necessary to that end, the reference is to what the believer is in Christ. The consequence of the creative act, he has become a new creature, a new creation. And now when we first read that, Again, we need to read it in context and understand what we're reading there. Uh, We might think that, okay, once you get saved, all of a sudden those old habits, those evil thoughts, those lustful looks are just, and whatever else you struggle with with sin, are just done away with and gone forever, and you're just perfect and don't have to think about any of that ever again. Well, you don't literally become a brand new person at that moment. And we know that's true. Uh, This verse does not describe a believer's practice, but rather a believer's position. Uh, Let me read that again. Uh, This is powerful. We have to remember, okay, we become a new creation, right? It doesn't describe a believer's practice, but our position. So notice it says that if anyone is in Christ, there's there's the key right there, in Christ. That's the key passage. In Christ, old things have passed away. And all things have become new. But in me, not all of this is true yet. But as I progress as a Christian, as I progress in this Christian life, my desires change, and I desire that my practice may increasingly correspond with my position in Christ. And here's the great reality. One day, when the Lord Jesus returns, the two will become in perfect agreement. The process of becoming more like Jesus is called sanctification, and it's an ongoing process. As long as we live, we're being sanctified by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to become more like him. It's the, the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when we come to Jesus, again, the sins are still going to come at us, but we have to understand, first of all, we have been forgiven. He has cleansed us, forgiven us from all of our sins. But now that sanctification takes place, and so we start becoming more like Jesus, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's so important, 1 John 1, 9, to understand that, and that reads, if we confess our sins, he, being God, is just, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. God wants to purge away that willful sin. And the Holy Spirit convicts us when we do sin, and then we confess our sins to God, and he forgives us and cleans us. So that's a part of sanctification, and it's an ongoing process. But the more that we live this life for Jesus, the more that we allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in us, we do become more like Jesus. And that's why I say it's a lifelong process. We we keep being sanctified. He keeps transforming our lives. Our desires continue to change to line up with his, and we become more and more in line with the position that our spirits are with Jesus Christ. 
through salvation. Let's talk about more of what becomes new and how we become a new creation in Christ. We have a new spiritual history at that moment of salvation. We have a new spiritual history. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So that's where the new spiritual history begins. And so let's ask the question, in what sense can this change be called a creation? Well, number one, it's the production of a new thing. This passion of Christ is a new thing in the universe. When Jesus went to the cross for us to pay our price for our sins, to be our substitute, he changed everything. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he changed everything. Death no longer had the final say for those of us who are in Christ. And because Jesus lives, we will too. We have eternal life in him. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came. And through the Holy Spirit, the work in us, our spirits are renewed. And therefore, we become a new creation. Number two, it's the production of a new thing by the agency of God. Creation is the work of God. Salvation, reconciliation, eternal life is what God planned all along. We go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God, right after the, the fall of man when sin came into the world, God told Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Number three is the production of a new thing according to a divine plan. That's why the definition of new in the Greek is so amazing. And I mentioned that earlier when we looked at it in the Strong's Concordance. The translation is original formation. We become a new creation, an original formation. Being with God, loving God, being his child was how God originally created man to be. We weren't created to to die. We were created to live with him forever. But sin came into the world, and because there's death in this world, that's proof that there's sin in this world. And sin separated us from God, but God reconciled us back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That was God's divine plan. So let me ask you, are you a new creation? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You can. You can do so right now. As I taught last week out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't delay Now is the day of salvation. There is an urgency. Paul had an urgency in his writing there. Now is the day of salvation. We don't know if we'll see tomorrow. We don't know if we'll see the end of today. I encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Be reconciled to Jesus. He died for you. He died for me. He died for us all. We just need to receive his gift. Receive that provision that God made for us to reconcile us to himself. God is awesome. He's amazing. He's full of love, and he shows it through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are ready to make that decision, I encourage you to just call out to God. Pray. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Repent of your sins. And what that means is turning from your sinful ways and turning to him. And just letting him know, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need salvation. And I know, Jesus, you are the only one who provides that salvation. I believe with all my heart that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe with all my heart on the third day you rose again, defeating death and giving all who believe eternal life. I want that forgiveness. I want that eternal life with you. I receive you now, Jesus. Cleanse me and make me whole. Fill me with your spirit and help me day by day to live for you. Just pray to him. Talk to him. 
He meets you right where you're at. You don't have to use Bible language. Just talk to him. And he'll meet you right where you're at, and he'll save you. He'll forgive you of your sins, and he'll give you life, true life, right here on earth, and eternal life forever and ever with him. And if you made that decision, I encourage you to tell somebody. If you know somebody who's a strong believer, tell that person. If you want to contact me, please do. I'd love to hear from you. My phone number is here at Love and Action is 334-494-4995. That's 334-494-4995. You can email me at ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. Ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to praise God with you and with the angels in heaven who celebrate when one comes back to Jesus. And I'd love to give you some next steps. So I just encourage you, call out to Jesus today. And for believers, share Jesus with others. Share this message of reconciliation with others so people can have an opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to it and give their lives to Jesus Christ. That's what God has called us to do. And we're going to talk about that next week. We will dive into the ministry of reconciliation that Paul mentions here in 2 Corinthians. So I encourage you to join me again next week for that teaching, the ministry of reconciliation. Well, I pray that you have a wonderful rest of the day and a great week coming up. And remember, always remember that Jesus loves you so very much. And I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.